Hey everybody, we are going to be hosting the second ever Belong Conference in London on November 13th and 14th. There are still some tickets available. If you want to check it out, Belong is a safe place where we come together to have honest discussions about doubt, hope, fear, and faith. A place where no question is off limits, but you can find a burgeoning community of people who will welcome you with all of your strangeness. A place where the unlikely gather around a table and find a place to belong. So November 13th and 14th, if you have any way of getting to London, England, it is going to be a good time. And there are some tickets available still. So theliturgist.com slash belong. Going to be a good time. The first one was amazing. Friendships developed. Conversation was uh, inspiring. And uh, we're hoping for more of that. So we hope to see you there. Today's episode, by the way, a quick word of warning, there is some colorful language. So if there are children around or you're a person who is sensitive to language, you may want to skip this one. But for the rest of you heretics, heathens, and reprobates, hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Liturgist Podcast, everybody. I'm Michael Gunger, and our co-host Science Mike unfortunately this week had a motorcycle wreck and man yeah he texted me and said he just wrecked his motorcycle and we talked about it for a bit and then he texted me a couple hours later and said I don't remember texting you I said you need to go to the doctor Mm -hmm. he's he was caring for his dad at the time and he was he's I was like dude put on the air mask before you help your neighbor so I yeah I told him to go to the doctor and he went to the doctor he's got a concussion and he's on meds right now so if you're the kind of person that prays or sends thoughts or whatever you do, send them to Mike. He's doing well. He's recovering. But a guy like Science Mike, we need that brain to be yeah. fully functional. <laughs> so anyway, he's taking a break today. But we have Mr. David Bazan in the studio. Hi. Hi. Oh, in the studio. It's just my living room. <laughs> he was touring through town, through the area, and he was gracious enough to stop by. You've heard the story. You know. For some of our listeners that might not be aware of your stuff, maybe we could just start with some of your story. Yeah. I know you're a pastor's kid as well. Yep. Uh, uh, specifically a music pastor. Music pastor, kid. yeah. Get us going. So how, how, how does your, when you think of your early walk of 
music and your early life of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, how were they intertwined, especially with a dad that was a music pastor? Well, you know, I mean, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and we lived a half a mile from the church that we went to and that my dad worked at. And the school that I went to was a part of that church. All of every single person in my from like kindergarten. Yeah. Kindergarten to sixth grade. Um, every single person in my extended family is uh, Christian and the same kind of Christian that we were uh, Pentecostal assemblies of God. So, yeah, I mean, it was just a complete bubble that I lived in, um, but it was great. Yeah, you know, and, and in that context, in certain kinds of evangelical Christianity specifically, I feel like there's this push for your faith to be fully integrated in your person, in your identity, and it's not some separate kind of ornament you know, to your life, it's like the fundamental thing. And so that was the mindset that I kind of grew up with was that like, this is, you know, it just permeates everything. And, and I enjoyed that. I mean, there's a, like a, a feeling of fidelity to it that just, yeah, just made you feel good. It was, and bad too. I mean, you know, there was guilt and separation from God because you're a sinner and like all this stuff, but that, you know, could tend to plague somebody like me at that point. But uh, I listened to only Christian music. That was all I was allowed to listen to. I think I got a couple of, with a couple of minor exceptions as a kid, my aunt got me a single of Caribbean Queen by uh, Get Out of My Dreams and Out of My Car. Oh, Billy Ocean. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so just like the Christian bookstore was where I went to buy records. And the first record that I ever bought of my own volition was Carmen the Champion. And I was like <laughs> fucking psyched. So psyched. Because yeah. what had happened is, as I had called the Christian radio station like every day and just said, play the champion. And he's like, kid, <laughs> buy the record. Like, go buy the record. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that. You know, and so in my way, and in, in that totally backward little subculture of, you know, CCM, like I curated for myself like music that I found some meaning in and I was kind of always still searching and always searching and by the time but not right were you playing or no this was like uh in seventh grade I started playing drums I had played a little piano as a kid my dad gave us lessons and I played clarinet uh, but in seventh grade I started playing drums okay so still seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, it was mostly Christian music, except I discovered the Beatles in eighth grade. Mm. That was absolute turning point. You were born again. I, it's true. It's true. It's truly a born again kind of thing. Cause there still is just not, there's, it's rare that somebody comes along that's functioning on the level that the Beatles were yep. functioning on harmonically and just the inventiveness and melodically and. So that was like a little blip, but it wasn't until um, 10th grade that I was, that the floodgates were kind of open. I asked my dad if I could get a Columbia house, like subscription subscription deal. And he was like, um, okay, (laughs) I think it's time. Like, it's fine. So I, then I started buying the cure and U2 and um, Fugazi and 
just it's just everything became available then um but before that it was all christian music and i was playing drums in church hadn't picked up a guitar really yet ninth grade i guess is when i started learning chords from guys around the church so was it for church music that you started learning it was for curiosity but i it was used first um the first time i ever played guitar in front of anybody I was leading the two and three year old Sunday school class. And wow. like, you know, Me if you're too. happy and you know it, yeah. clap your hands. Yeah. And then shortly after that in 10th grade, I started writing songs of my own. I had already decided in ninth grade that I wanted to play music for a living, but I was picturing myself as a drummer, giving lessons, playing like weddings and, you know, combo jazz combos and, you know, just kind of piecing it together. Like my drum teachers that I had had in every town that we had lived in, they all had figured out a way to sort of make a living as a musician. And so that was my blueprint. And then when I started writing songs, I thought that this is what I want to do. I just want to write these songs and drive around and sing them, you know? It's funny, I didn't know you were Pentecostal. Yeah, so we had the same thing. My dad, my dad was not only the pastor, but the music pastor. Oh, yeah. Um, I started playing guitar in the twos and threes. Yeah. We called ourselves the Heavenly Sounds. Uh-huh, that that's awesome. Probably played some of the same songs, I would yeah. imagine, for the two and three. And then I graduated to the other children's church age, yeah. the big church. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I can remember the Christian bookstore and the, the tape section. Yep. Seeing Tapes, all, like, man. Yeah, and it was a shelf. It was about 10 feet of shelf space and... There's only about three feet that was, you know, yeah. <laughs> not Twyla Paris or whatever else yeah. was, you know. You have Petra Praise on that yeah. part? Or... Yeah. As deep as I thought I was digging, I really missed, like, there was that whole L.A., like, the 77s and um, Adam again and um, Daniel Amos and, like, all these bands that I would have loved, but mm. I didn't I didn't get exposed to them till yeah. way later. Kind of got into Christian thrash metal for a little bit because I was just oh, looking for something. Something with some bite. Yeah, with some kind of something to it um, that was thinking for itself. And that, that music seemed like it was. I don't know that I think it really was. but Oh, but I also remember I went to Berean Christian Bookstore in Phoenix looking for a Scattered Few record. That's a like, I guess, maybe an L.A. band. And uh, they have this record that I really loved back in the day and I probably still would enjoy it now called sin disease and um the guy informed me that they did not carry scattered views music because the last time they came to Phoenix they played in a bar oh. and so they're boycotting you know them and I just thought I didn't have I didn't know enough about the world to understand all everything that was going on there but I just thought that's that's really uptight, man. Like it was just, it was a bum. It was kind of like the, the sounds like the message is getting lost in the music buzzkill. It was just like, is it really this, it's this rigid, it's this narrow. I don't know if most people know how much darkness is in, is in the Christian music industry where it's like these, it, it's almost conspiracy theory. Like, where it's like these men in yeah. the shadows trying to like keep them in their in their bubble so they don't see don't let them see it's like a, you know what i mean like it we is, had this it's a fear yeah but it's a it gets weird like we had this radio station recently they wanted to play one of our songs it's a large christian radio station and they had some listeners complain about us mm -hmm. they said they liked the message of the song but then they uh, which is basically like it's, it says if it's us or them it's us for them uh -huh. and so it's 
to me, about as Christian as I can be at this point. Right, like, right. That's that's pretty. Uh, to me, that's pretty Jesus. Yeah, like, no other. It's yeah. Uh, um, but they sent this whole thing that they wanted us to sign. It's a belief statement. Oh my gosh! And not only just like Christian beliefs, but then like expanded to like it got it got weird. I mean, it got to like we believe that people are only born male or female. Oh, right. And there's, that no, there's in no in between. I was like, I actually am related to somebody that was born yeah. with, yeah. with with ambiguous genitalia yeah, yeah. and had to decide. That's real. Uh, that's a real, like... It's just a fact. It's a fact. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're asking me to sign. You're denying hermaphroditism. Yeah, as yeah. Thing, like, like what? And how did this, how did this issue make your statement of beliefs that you have? Anyway, so it just gets real weird out there. That That's a, that's a very extreme version because they're not it's not a denomination it's a it's a commercial endeavor it's a radio station mm -hmm. that's yeah that's very intense i'm sure you're in the same uh, have the same feeling but that's one of the things that i just thought i i don't i'm not interested in living my life around this this is insane that start when did the when did the seeds of doubt begin well i mean i think i that that particular strain of hyper pious christianity just all it never made sense to me because usually the people that were participating in it were missing some like massive aspects of scripture like you're saying with the the song it it that does reflect a very christ centric notion like from the gospels and when i was i from high school i was reading the bible a lot and seeing things in the bible that just were not represented in the culture that i was in and my dad being the music pastor there was times uh i think in seventh grade was the first time on fourth of july weekend they had like color guard and in the church and they had you know we were singing these patriotic songs and i remember afterward at lunch i my dad was like, "Why, well, you know, what do you think of that?" And uh, I was like, um, "I think you're getting things mixed up mm -hmm. a little bit. Like those don't, those don't, those things don't go together. Mm -hmm. Church, God, and country, those aren't related in any way." And he was like, "Huh, that's interesting. You know, let's talk more about that." And mm -hmm. so there was an er there was a sense early on that like there's a version of Christianity that is kind of pure and based on scripture that the people in the culture that I'm a part of are just barely paying lip service to. And so, you know, that was a lot to think about forever until I was 28. Like my thinking was more just like reform the church, like just yeah. be better. Um, and so, in, and in that sense, you know, you hear it all the time and it's just the laziest thinking I think that there is that bad Christians are not a reason to not believe, you know, people, humans acting poorly, speaking for the church or as agents of, of Christianity. That's not a reason to not believe. It never was for me. 
that was a reason to find the pure version of the thing to like figure out how to do it right. And so the impulse that I was telling you about where like people who are just too uptight, like I didn't want to be around them. I could do that and still be Christian, you know, but then later on, um, as I started to really evaluate some of the premises of my belief system, things started to fall apart. Then. And when, so that was that mostly in your twenties? When did that all start? Yeah. Late, like, um, 27, 28. And how long did that last? It took a couple years for it to be maybe a year for it to be really complete. Once the, once the domino started going, mm. the, it, yeah, I think it probably took about a year. So what were some of the first dominoes like hell? Hell was, yeah, hell was a big one from, I mean, hell was just something that didn't seem, it seemed tacked on from a, a pretty early, uh, you know, pretty early on. It seemed like, what that, that doesn't seem divine to me. That seems like made up by some dudes. It just didn't fit all the way. And then you look into sort of the exegesis of hell and it's kind of dubious. Like it's not. culturally it gained steam in a extremely profound way but the source material doesn't support it to the degree that it eventually kind of emerged is what it seemed to me at the time so I started looking more deeply into that and um, inerrancy I I started to really think now wait why 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 is this a must like but then when it really started to kick in it was after our daughter was born and I it really called original sin and the narrative of the garden into Mm -hmm. question kind of put it in sharp relief for the first time. And I thought the intentionality of me making this kid is so much less than ostensibly the intentionality behind the creator creating Adam and Eve in the world. And yet there's not a goddamn thing you could, that she could do at any point in her life that would cause me to want to be separate from her. Mm Mm-hmm. And never. Yet alone set her on fire for eternity. Yeah, exactly. In one fell swoop, the thing just evaporated. I just thought, that doesn't make any sense. No being that would act that way toward their creations. Do I revere or do I love or do I, am I compelled by? Like that just, again, it just seems like patriarchy bullshit. And so that was when it really started to kind of fall apart. For me, and then so without that narrative, like, what, where does G, where did Jesus fit in? Like, as the as the answer to what again? Like, he died on the cross because there was nothing. There was no because. <laughs> it was just. It just seemed like didn't have a framework. For yeah, him. there was no. It wasn't an answer to to any any kind of question. Mm-hmm. That was how I you know thought of it then. And so yeah, I just I just kind of realized well, yeah, it's just time to get in the get in your little raft and just be tossed around on the waves for a while just you don't know what you think about anything so you it you know and it was tempting to try to find some other solid ground because obviously people are pretty invested in grilling me about (laughs) about this thing and so at the time i decided that i needed to get comfortable pretty quick with just saying i don't know you know people wanted an answer for it it's just like i don't believe it that's why i don't believe it like it doesn't sound true to me doesn't seem realistic and then once i started really i mean in the background your your unconscious mind is it's cataloging everything and sometimes the things that you believe they really resonate with 
what's going on in the back in the background with what your sort of gut is telling you about the way that the world actually works and when i stopped kind of believing in christianity everything just started to make more sense it was like oh it's just difficult to get something right there's a hundred thousand ways to get something wrong and it's hard you have to have information you have to have discipline you have to have imagination to do a thing right and that was way more believable to me than like magic you know you we're all bad and hurt each other because of a spell that was cast on everybody it's just like no it's difficult to do things right it just it just is a fact it's harder to do something right than it is to do it wrong. That's why we don't do things right, you know, because it requires so much coordinated effort on so many fronts to get any single thing right, you know. And so this things like that started to emerge, and I still don't really know what the nature of invisible reality is. I mean, or I don't even have, obviously no one knows, but I don't even have a working hypothesis in most most days. So when you were going through all of that, were you walking that through with anybody? Did you feel alone? I wasn't walking it through with anybody. Um, I would talk to my friends and, you know, there was a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of smart people around, um, both Christian and non-Christian in my life. Um, and so, yeah, I definitely, the way that my brain works, like I'll read one chapter in a book that has some idea that kind of grabs a hold of me and then I'll mull that over for six months and like really work it through. And the same thing with conversations. Like I could just kind of get sent off kind of just spinning and kind of mulling a thing over after somebody just says, you know, a phrase or we're talking about something and an idea that I just had not considered before comes down the pike. That, that was, that was how the, the process went. And so, yeah, there was a, there was a solitary component to it. Uh, my wife is not interested in existential anything. Still not? No. she. I mean, she grew up Christian and maybe is marginally a Christian now, okay. depending on one's definition of it. But nothing <laughs> of the existential discussion or concerns ever entered her hmm. framework. She's just not, is not interested in that. And so, so it wasn't hard, was it hard for her? No, it's odd because she had stopped wanting to go to church just on her own, like around 2000, I guess. And then she would kind of go sometimes, but it wasn't that interesting to her. And then we moved out to the country and we both didn't go for a couple of years. And then she got pregnant and wanted to go back to church. So I, I said, okay, well, if... I don't really want to, <laughs> um, but if, if this life inside of you is stirring up something that you want to like re-engage with Christianity, like, that's fair. I'm, I'm down with that. But on the other hand, if this is just the only way you know how to do family, um, I feel like we can think a little bigger about it. So she went through that for five years, I guess, kind of going to church and having me come along and then really not wanting me to come along because if I'm there, like I'm engaging in it in a way that we get in the car after church and I say, dude, 
whenever he said that, like, yeah, that's totally true. But then his conclusion, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why? That doesn't necessarily follow from what he, the premises that he, you know, gave. And she's like, dude, shut up. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it. I just want you to come with me, sit in the pew, be nice, you know? And I was like, can I drink before? And just like sit there and kind of be drunk. And she's like, no, I don't think you should do that. And it's just like, well, what do you want? You know, what do you want from me? She's like, why don't you just not come for a little while? Let's see how that feels. And I was just like, okay. That sounds good. And so then when our son was born, coincidentally, she hasn't been back. So yeah, I mean, she has been on her own kind of because no aspect of the existential concerns really appealed to her. She has had to sort of figure out, well, what is Christianity even, what does it even mean to her? And she's really quiet and all of that is happening. Like a thought process that would take me days and days to like kind of hash out, I think just occurs to her in a split second. She's like, yeah, it sounds good. Not going to really think about it too much, (laughs) you know, so which is a trip. But yeah, so we weren't, you know, I wasn't really bouncing a lot of that stuff off her. She could see the the effects of the turmoil that I was in. And I guess that's one thing to bring up is that it was it was so painful. Yeah. During the aftermath both? During just just the processing all of that the information and yeah. kind of doing the math yeah. again and again and losing God, mm-hmm. you know, losing that was it a, just totally a gradual process, or was there like a moment that you kind of let go? There were a cup. There were a few moments. It was a very gradual process, but there were a few moments. One of which I was at a in church um, with her, and it was Christmas time, and we were singing all of these really rad old hymns, um, Christmas carols, and I was doing the work, like you know, one stanza of lyrics. I would sing and I th- and I would think to myself, I believe that that's real. And then the next stanza, you know, I was doing like a line item veto of these songs and like really, really doing the work, just sitting there and engaging and like wrestling with it. And it was cathartic and it felt like it felt right to me. And then I sat down and the guy who was speaking spoke and I, I hated him. I hated every moment of it was just so unserious to me it was like pandery and it just was the epitome of what I wasn't interested in and um I'm sort of wrestling with this and then he says okay now we're gonna take communion and I thought oh fuck I can't I can't take communion like I've just I'm so not in community with this like I've just sat here and judged it so negatively for 30 minutes and so it was the first time I hadn't been to church you know uh, more or less for years but I had never not taken communion and I just as the they started passing out the elements I just stood up and left I just thought I can't I just told my wife I was like I'm gonna be in the car and what I did was I walked down to a bar and um, had a shot and a beer and kind of had my own little communion ceremony and it it was and then we went to lunch and I just, I stayed in the car and just sobbed for like 40 minutes. I was devastated. It was gradual, but there were these moments where there was big shifts. Um, and that was one of them. And, 
I think I continued to kind of wrestle with it for a long time. And in some ways I still do. I mean, you know, God rid me of God. It's a powerful idea. And was it just the false deity that I was shedding? And there's a real deity that looks totally different in the in the nooks and crannies somewhere, in the, the dark matter, you know? I don't know. It feels impossible most of the time, but sometimes... And so that process, it was always the way that it went, you know. So yeah, it was, it was very, it was very painful. Um, the loss and the grieving and, and all that stuff were really pretty real and profound. Um, then I felt a lot of peace uh, after, yeah. afterward, which was, I was grateful. Yeah, for. yeah, I, I, some, I experienced some similar things as well. Sorry, the, the listeners of this have heard my story, but huh? I'll give you a... Please. Notes. Um, Forget them. Tell me. <laughs> uh, so I, I had a very, you know, similar thing. I think when you've seen behind the stage your whole life, when you've gone, you've been in the bubble your whole life, and then you start seeing stuff outside of it, you start putting the pictures together. It's terrifying, right? Yeah. Especially depending on how much of your life is built on that platform. Yeah. Um, and then you start like tearing up the platform that you're standing on. Yeah, that's terrifying. That you're sta- yeah, and that's really a good picture of it because it's just totally destabilizing. You don't know where the bottom is yeah. going to be. Yeah, and what what of your life is going to fall away? And for mm-hmm. me, it was pretty much everything. Yeah, like my whole life, I didn't have. I really didn't even have non Christian friends. Right, like I just was in, in, in. And this was you know uh, in my late twenties as well. That I really, I, I, my seeds of doubt started earlier. They started kind of in. I just had a very long deconstruction yeah. process. I'd take one board up and then like try to ignore the fact. That, you know, that, right. Um, but I was always thinking about it. I just was wanting as hard as I could to keep those boards nailed down. But over years, finally just, I couldn't, I couldn't hang on anymore. The other metaphor that I had used on the podcast when I told the story before was uh, holding on to this, I felt like I was holding on to this branch and this river I was like 16 or yeah. whatever and I started and I was just holding on and uh, I couldn't anymore like I had lost yeah. feeling in my hands I like I just couldn't hold on anymore so I just finally let go the end of 2012 stopped believing yeah and by that the pain had been going for years uh, and we've sung a lot about that pain in our music even our Christian yeah. music and then for me it was a great sense of peace yeah when I finally let go and like and it was a strange, somehow it felt almost like an act of devotion. Absolutely. I to, think it's a, it's a deeper fidelity. I mean, yeah. that was the thing that I, w- that I was so terrified to. Because when you're a Christian, especially a particular kind, like fidelity is really an important part of it that yeah. you feel like. And to me, it, it felt, yeah, it, it felt like a true, it felt like a, a true faithful response yeah. to the data you know and that's i hope none of this comes across as incorrectly but I, that's what one of the things i loved about curse your branches um and at the time i would have been still like holding on to my right. faith but even at the time it felt different than say a dawkins critique of christianity yeah. might be there, i think yeah. there's something about going through the inside uh, Zizek, this philosopher, has, says this thing about like there's no atheism that's as profound as the one through Christianity. Basically, right. it's Jesus on the cross saying, "My God, why have you forsaken me?" Right. That sort of 
coming to the end, it's, it's a little different than like, there's science or there's right. faith. Right. There, you know, this the the simple dualities of right. like don't believe superstition or myth, just believe truth right. and science. And that's some of the critique that some people level against level against Christianity. And there's a lot of that you should listen. People sure. should listen to about that. That's not a hundred percent true. Right. About the dissonance within the song itself, within yeah. the faith itself, that calls you forward into like if you're gonna. How, you can't have a religion that says both God is love and, you know, like love your enemy and all these things and have hell in it. Right. And not create some dissonance within the song itself. Right. You know what I mean? So like, right. the path that follows the thread that's inherent in the path. Right. That calls into question the things that maybe should be called into question. There's something deeply faithful about it. There's something like that. And that's what I felt in Curse Your Branches. It was, uh, it was psalmish. You know what I mean? It was like, this is with it. And, and that's why I hope doesn't come across in the no. wrong way. It's a, it's a very, I mean, it, there is a reverence to the whole endeavor that is, I guess when I think about it, it's kind of unexpected. I didn't realize that, that it was there. There's like an earnest sort of attempt to take all of this seriously and to do justice with it. Um, that indicates a, a deep caring <laughs> about the outcome and about the, the cult subculture itself, you know? And also, there is the whole other layer. Like, I am not a believer, but you should be able to do to do that a project like Christian Branches, not uh, music, but just like deconstruction and really looking deeply into things, and still be a Christian. I mean, the cultural moment that that we're in, where that's just not allowed, is just bullshit. It's the 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 biblical tradition is so much richer than that. And it, it, there's so much more dissonance than evangelical Christianity allows to take place. Um, and so even though I'm not a believer, I just think like, well, there's a sense in which a buddy of mine walked from, I think to Amsterdam to Istanbul, like just to be a freak. I mean, just to, he was on a journey uh, just personally. And he ran into some guy over there and the guys, they barely spoke you know, the, enough of the common language, but the guy says, you are, you are Christian. I am Muslim. And my buddy is like, no, I'm not a Christian. He's like, yeah, you, you are from the United States. You are Western. Yeah. You are Christian. Mm-hmm. And it didn't dawn. And then it, my buddy just really pushed back yeah. for a minute, but then he understood what he was saying. And it's yeah. just like, there's a cultural tradition that we're all partaking in that is Christianity. And it's not, doesn't have to be Christianity in the narrow, uptight kind of sense. It just is the language of our moral system. It's Western society. It's Western Western civilization. And so in that sense, like, yeah, I'm totally comfortable. Like in that sense, I also am Christian. And it was, it was really freeing to like let go of the branch, as you say, but also just realize like I'm still in this river that is, you know, Christianity, not in the sense that I believe that there's an afterlife or anything like that, but that we're all trying to solve these moral problems that continue to plague our society. And we're doing it with, through the lens of Judeo Christian philosophy. And we're in a long line of people doing the same thing. And you don't have to be a Christian to be, I mean, we're all doing it. You know, Mad Men is doing it and Breaking Bad is doing it like these, all these things. And I'm not trying to pull a U2, like they're a Christian band, but like the scope of what this 
conversation is people just get so uptight about the definitions and the categories of things. And it's just, it's silly because you, you let go of that branch and I was really defensive for a while and couldn't really see myself. And I didn't understand where I fit or where I landed. And then I realized, Oh, I'm Christian. Like I'm a Christian. I just don't believe in Christianity. (laughs) I don't think that any of it is like metaphysically true, but you know, I can talk to you about the ethics of Jesus and how that relates to the world. And, you know, there are some guys who had stopped being Christian eight years ago or whatever would not still be talking about this or Mm -hmm. be doing a podcast about Christianity. They'd just be like, fuck this. And then, (laughs) and then they're just doing something else. But I'm, this is still what I'm interested in. Yeah. But it's so much of its language, isn't it? I mean, you, I hear you say, I'm not a believer, I'm not a, or, but I am a Christian. Like, this is all, these are just... It's a, a totally me- arbitrary, yeah. <laughs> what, believer in what? Where at this point, where what we're trying to do as the liturgists is kind of post that right. experience that we had of deconstruction, what's, what now? Because there is like, um, you know, Mike and I have, have had experiences that are hard to put into... Yeah. To parse into language and stuff but then you know i was yesterday i was on, on de- downtown denver and this um this Hare krishna guy gave me some material and i started reading through some of it just curiously and just the language i was like i think as if i can understand what they're saying i'd love a lot of what they're saying right the language and the gods and the myths that they're talking about i don't even know like, right so it doesn't speak to me but i can hear the myth the christian myths and the christian stories and i know what they're talking about right and you can move forward through that in a way that I, I'm sure if I had the heritage of being a Hindu or that I could move forward through different yeah. things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so is there anything of your, of your Christian past or anything? Is there anything that now you're trying to, is there anything that you're trying to reclaim? Like when you say something like, you know, it's not original sin, it's just being, it's difficult to do well, to right. be good in the world. Well, is that maybe a good definition for original sin? <laughs> you know maybe, I mean? like, maybe so. And that, the, yeah, and that that, but it's, but it, but that the, the, the ramifications of it are, are truly natural. I mean, I guess that's the thing that, you know, there, it, growing up Christian, there was this kind of, this distinction between natural revelation and special revelation, and that there was common grace, the things that sort of just were built into the system that everybody benefits from or is is wounded by. But then there was this other distinction, this special way that God kind of spoke into the world. Um, and more and more, I just feel like the natural explanations of things are so profound. And there's, again, I think that it's true what you're saying about words. Like my buddy, uh, uh, Tim Walsh, he's really gotten into Buddhism. And so he talks a lot about the divine and that the divine is in everything. And it's like, well, if the divine is in everything, and I agree with him to a certain degree, but like, what is that word even good for? Like, what does it mean? Like that all of this is deeply meaningful and transcendent. Okay. You know, is that all we're talking about when we say, you know, the divine? Um, but so yeah, I look around the world and it just seems like it, I don't need an, I don't need a hidden layer. This is what is here on the surface is so meaningful and it's so profound and there's enough data to know how to live and how to move forward um but for but for me uh, some of that come i mean there are statements of faith that 
I sort of rest on. And after I stopped believing in that context, I heard again the MLK. I think borrowed it from somebody else, but it was it's large. It's often quoted as an MLK quote that the moral arc of the universe is long, but that it bends toward justice. And I heard that, and I just thought it was it was scandalizing to me because I thought, oh my God, do you is that do you affirm that or do you mm. not affirm that? Mm. Like that was a big, and it took me months before I really knew how to relate to that statement. And in the end, I thought, I do believe that. Mm. I do, I perceive that to be true. Like when I look at history, when I look at my life, when I look at the way that culture, you know, seems to be going at any given point in time, it does seem like that that's true. And that's an part of my um, creed, I guess. I mean, yeah. you know, it's one of the few, the few things that are kind of in it. I don't really spend too much time trying to understand how that relates to Christianity. One of the differences is that the Christianity that I experienced, such a huge component of it was that God would eventually, supernaturally, make things right. And that all the wrongs would somehow be righted later. That was one of the things that I really grew to resent about Mm. Christianity, is that I thought that it really let all these people off the hook for Mm. trying harder to make justice happen now here and to take responsibility for those outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but the other thing is that the biblical tradition, like I like reading about people struggling to understand immortality or mortality and morality and the divine trying to contextualize that. Like when I'm reading, a, you know, the old Testament, that's what I see. I don't see anything divine going on or anything supernatural I just see people trying like you know a bunch of terrible people in a lot of ways <laughs> trying to figure out how to live um, and that record of that however distorted it is is there's data there to understand and it's fascinating and I think it's helpful it's helpful to me and so yeah I don't I don't relate to the Christian tradition the way that I used to but I, st- I still find it important and interesting to me, but then if somebody's like, yeah, I have no time for that, it's just like, yeah, fine. Those Hare Krishna guys, like, they're not ever going to kind of cozy up to the biblical tradition the way that guys like you and me would, but that's just kind of the luck of the draw, our experience, like... Where you were born. We could grow, we could grow up Islam or, um, you know, Buddhist or whatever, and hopefully figure out a way to relate to it that is, you know, similar to this, where it's like... Yeah, you don't have to sign on the dotted line. You get, you can reserve judgment about things that you don't know the answer to. Did you hear Mike's axioms on his? Did he t- go through his axioms on the? I don't know if I part? if that was on there or not. Those are fun. That's actually what kind of made me interested in the tradition again. Yeah, is. After you experience deconstruction, there's the question of what now, right? Mm-hmm. So how much do I throw out? Is there anything worth reclaiming? And that's, you know, I guess what we've been talking about. But so I met Mike and I was kind of telling him at the time when I met him, I was like, I don't really believe anything right now. And he told me about his experience and he said, and he knows very well the natural explanations of all of everything. Right, that's right. why he, uh, he knows he could very well have been hallucinating. <laughs> like it's all, he's all very aware of it, which is hilarious to talk and about. And I got that on that podcast yeah, yeah. too. But he, he uh, clearly made, a, there was a choice that he made. Like this, 
this is the most meaningful way to think of it for me. And so, this but is- but how he uses the language. I think one of the things we do, why we try to incorporate science in this conversation, is I think we would both feel the same. Like, why do you need some other unhidden, like hidden magical layer? Yeah. To all of this, what if it all is the magic? Yeah. It's all magical. It's all it is. the thing. Yeah. It's all the miracle. So I feel like... Um, what, what is his his axioms? Oh, yeah. That's what I was going to... So, he, so he, he came up with these axioms that, that he told me. And at the time when I was talking to him, like I missed some of my spiritual practices. I missed some of the transcendence that I would feel about the wonder, the mystery yeah. of God, the, the mystery that I would feel during communion, the, some of the weird stuff. I, I missed yeah. some of the like, magic of it, you know? But at the same time, I wanted to be intellectually honest. So he told me these axioms... God is at least the natural forces that created and sustained the universe as experienced via a psychosocial model in human brains that naturally emerges from innate biases. Even if that is a comprehensive definition for God, the pursuit of this personal, subjective experience can provide meaning, peace, and empathy for others. Prayer is at least a form of meditation that encourages the development of healthy brain tissue, lowers stress, and can connect us to God. Even if that is a comprehensive definition of prayer, the health and psychological benefits of prayer justify the discipline. Jesus is at least a man so connected to God that he was called the Son of God, and the largest religious movement in human history is centered around his teachings. Even if this is all Jesus is, following his teachings can promote peace, empathy, and genuine morality. The Bible is at least a collection of books and writings assembled by the church that chronicle a people group's experiences with and understanding of God over thousands of years. Even if that is a comprehensive definition of the Bible, the study of scripture is warranted to understand our culture and the way in which people come to know God. Well, to me, the, the I guess it's an axiom that, that I admitted uh, that the moral arc of the universe is long, but that it apparently bends toward justice. It's, it has a similar effect that there is the meaning, the meaningfulness of justice is kind of built into that. It's like, okay, it, it, it assumes that right outcomes, just outcomes are better than unjust outcomes. And that it's all sort of somehow heading that way. But for me, it puts me in the middle of it, not at the center of it, but just like one, tiny aspect of this kind of flow but also it has the the effect of the aggregate of all of our behaviors is what is what the sort of harvest ultimately is what the yield the sum total is and so how i act like i can't change the world Hmm. from my position but i can act in such a way that will feed into the aggregate and be a good outcome suddenly I'm thinking about those things and it requires patience and uh, the long view and a steadiness that to me is really helpful. And, but it's also all based on a belief that my actions can be meaningful, not directly, but in some with, with everybody else's. Um, and so then suddenly you're a part of this massive organism and yeah, too. And so, that's that's really when he said that I, I on on uh, Pete's uh, podcast, those are all the different things that went into my head, and I immediately thought of that that MLK quote. And mm. yeah, that's is that some form quote. of that for is that 
the the function that that is taking for me and yeah. and it, but also it doesn't assume very much about the mechanism by which that is taking place it doesn't assume sure. a, a, some creator or something that this is just an an outcome that we hope is perceivable you know but what i love about the depth of the tradition for thousands of years is that and one of the things i read more after my deconstruction was that i my all my words were handed to me on a very narrow stream Absolutely. of the whole thing. So like there's a whole side of the globe, <laughs> the Eastern people that would be very slow to ever say what God is. Oh there's yeah. A lot of people that would say like, oh, of course God doesn't exist. Right. It's not a, a concept that you yeah. can apply to God. Yeah. Like, um, and so that's, that's an, like how you define, how you navigate through these words. There's this uh, guy, Rob Bell, who did I, this. I know him too. Okay. Uh, he just did this talk that I heard him a month ago or something. It's like everything spiritual to tour, but his kind of his idea that kind of what you were talking about, the, the bend of the universe towards justice. He, he, I think he was kind of calling that spirit moving towards. So he was saying like, whatever it is in the universe that makes atoms join together into molecules mm -hmm. and molecules join together into life and life continue to evolve into more complex, mm -hmm. more connected, more depth, more beauty in some way of reality. Like that's spirit. And I kind of like that. I yeah. like that like idea that the spirit is what, whatever that direction is yeah. of the universe. And what is the mechanism? What, what is the question mark at the center of it all? And that, that's, it's a question mark. What do you yeah. mean? It's yeah. That's it's, what it's going to stay. Yeah. And maybe God mark. is, I, what brought me back to like starting to use the language, like well, I don't have another word for the question mark. Right. You know, I don't have a, for what is at the core of, of all of it that keeps us held together. I mean, that is a trick. I might as well admit it like I even have a choice. The crew have killed the captain. They still can hear his voice. A shadow on the water, a whisper in the wind. On long walks with my daughter, who is lately full of questions about you. One of the benefits of having done this process, in, for, in my estimation, is just getting to really marvel at that question, kind of for the first time in my life. It there was always an there was always an answer that sort of filled that blank whenever I would kind of it was posed to me or I would come up in my head. But now, it is just a. I mean, it's you know, it's something to really trip balls about. Like, and I like that. To me. You were talking about the wonder of certain aspects of the church service and the religious life, and now I find myself like contemplating space and these things, and it's just like, or the ocean. I mean, it's there's so much wonder to be to be found. I understand. I understand what you, what you're saying and the the appeal of Rob's definition of it. I don't even know that if there is such a thing as a, as some sort of independent intelligence at the center of all this stuff. I don't think that they're that they need the credit that Christianity asserts that 
Jehovah requires. They're not jealous. And these processes that have been set in place, they're natural. They work naturally. You know. I get I get still get hung up on what are we talking about when we're talking about Christianity and should am I just redefining language so that I have less pain to deal with socially or and that might really be the case <laughs> or or is a, a healthier way of engaging and moving forward in Christianity have seasons where like what's been handed what what's been handed down we have this language is mm-hmm. it the metaphysics that really was the point in right. the first place is that what Jesus was after getting us to have a metaphysical concept of the right. universe of magic and not magic or if that was the case why did he just tell stories and stuff like right. that so like if the point was more and which to me at this point my ties to Christianity would hold on to the hope that the point was to sort of follow the ark towards justice. And right. if there is, if there is a God, if there is any sort of intelligence, if there, whatever it is, it certainly can't be defined in the ways that I used to, because that leads me to, to dark places sure. in my head, in my heart of how I see the outsider, how, I, you know, I can't see the outsider like that. I can't see right. the guy that handed me the Hare Krishna to, thing as somebody it's that's like, like totally on, lost. on the opposite team that you're going to burn and I'm on the right. right, so, you know, right. I, can't, I can't see the world like that. But on the other hand, to me, it's kind of because of my faith, I think on some level that I can't see him like that. I think that's right. That Yeah, because, it, and there are contradictions within the system of, especially evangelical Christianity, but also all of these questions that, that we're asking the answers that have been supplied and the, the institutional forces that have evolved and developed and are sort of in place, they don't necessarily follow from any one of the Gospels. I mean, this is all through the filter of Constantine and Rome and like the big the big shift and the crystallization of what Christian doctrine really was according to the Council of Nicaea and all this stuff. And then you get Catholicism and 1,500 years of that. And, and then, you know, then you have Martin Luther and like all of these forces influence what seems like transcendent Christian doctrine, you know, and it's just not that way. Like, you know, without the book of John, the divinity of Jesus is just not really that big of a feature in the other three gospels. John is the one that really lays it on and insists that, you know, that he's God. It's, it's pretty vague in the other three. And so that alone is fascinating when Jesus was crucified, all of the different accounts have it at a different time. That's not, that doesn't mean that, that, that the stories aren't true or that something, but the, it, what it does mean is that what we've ended up with 2,000 years later, yeah, it's, it's all these constructs that are based on language, but even deeper than that, it's based on these cultural struggles that have happened and that yield these outcomes, a way to control the population. I mean, that is such a major force in the development of Christian doctrine, a way to control people's behavior so that there's relative harmony. Like I say, I don't think that it means that that those things aren't true, but those questions I think are are really valid and the amount of outside-the-box thinking that one can do and still be on pretty solid ground or I mean you could just go for it you could go forever sure because the culture has defined and distorted or potentially distorted it's but it's defined so much of what we perceive about Jesus and Hmm. at the time I didn't have the capacity for it but a movie like The Last Temptation of Christ comes along and it is a it is a it is so squarely part of the biblical tradition (laughs) 
It's it's insane. Yeah. And yet it's rejected because the, the cultural moment that we were experiencing at that point yeah. just could not handle it. Yeah, I hadn't seen that until last year. Isn't and I was it like, so... this is incredibly Christian, I felt it's like. It so was like Christian. Yeah. It's because of that that I still am intrigued by yeah. the, the tradition. Like the fact that it's built in, the prophets are in the Bible. Yeah. That's interesting to me. The fact that the, the people that are calling out the bullshit of the thing yeah. are in the thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and the fact that it keeps changing and the God of Exodus, the, the what people, the concept of God is not the same as no, the it, Hebrews it God or the, it evolves. Yeah. It evolves. And so that's, what makes me interested to like, okay, now what we know about science, now that we know that Adam and Eve couldn't have been the parents genetically of the 7 billion people on earth now because the genetics and the DNA don't line up. No, they They could because Eve and Adam lived centuries apart from one another in terms of like DNA. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They, they couldn't have lived in one place 6,000 years ago. That's it's now that we know that from science, what do we do with the story? Well, in the way that it evolved, even within that document that is the canon or whatever, you and I and anybody having these conversations are not special. We're not on the forefront of anything, mm-hmm. but we're doing, by just having this conversation, the exact same work that keeps the thing evolving. You know, you're sitting in your time and place and looking at all the factors and saying what seems most believable to you. Mm-hmm. In that sense, we're very much a part of the biblical tradition the christian tradition that's one thing about judaism that's so fascinating is that they don't in a lot of cases it seems like that they so thoroughly embrace that fist shaking at the heavens and the the really relentless questioning of certain things be a part of the tradition that it's not unwanted that it's welcomed and that it's a it's an esteemed part of the tradition that they're doing and i feel like I just wish that Christianity was a little better with that. When Job asked you the question, you responded, Who are you to challenge your Creator? Well, if that one part is true, It makes you sound defensive Like you had not thought it through Enough to have an answer Or you might have bit off more than you could chew But when you when you zoom back a little bit, like you were saying before, of Christian being the effects of Christianity, how can you have Western civilization without the effects of Christianity? You can't. Our moral conscience as a social justice and you know equal rights and uh, even like all all the things that are moving our society forward came from our moral conscience, which is rooted in Christianity. I mean, it is, you, yeah. It's hard to get away from that historically. So if you see it like that, then to me. It's not just the people that are claiming the words that are part of moving whatever Christianity is forward. It's it is Richard Dawkins as well. Yeah. He's a prophet in some way to yeah. Christianity. Like to whatever is happening, whatever is happening in human beings and human society that started 
you know, that there's this stream through Judaism and and the early followers of Jesus into like Christendom through Western society, through the Catholic Church, through Martin Luther, through that big stream that has had this major societal effect, I think is still evolving. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think anybody that was born into the into it is not influencing where we're all going I in agree. some way. Yeah. To be able to do one's faith in the full view and sort of influence of the marketplace of ideas is really a it's a high calling, I think, and I mm. think it's something that everybody can do um, because it also it also kind of it allows your faith to be what it really ought to be, which is faith, not this weaponized assuredness about the outcomes of the universe. Mm -hmm. um, there's a humility to it that is epitomized in the Big Lebowski when he says, yeah, well, that's just like your opinion, man. I mean, that's all any of us really ha like have when it comes to sort of competing ideas. And I, that kind of faith, I think, is beautiful and humble and profound. It's just like, and it is the thing that I think that in each in our different ways that we're both doing, when you let go of that branch, you're just in the river. And it's not the crisis that you thought it was. You're just floating in the fucking river. And then you kind of get acclimated there and you're like, okay, well, what's next? And there are other people holding on to various branches and you're like, yo, man, that seems like a cool branch. <laughs> you know, are you, know, are you yeah. Ha like, yeah. how do you like it? I don't like it. Oh, dude, let go. Like, it's fine. Like, everything's fine. We're all still in the same river. We're all just doing this thing. You know, and somebody says, yeah, well, what really is true is blah, blah, blah. And you go, oh, cool. I don't know about that. But do you want to get a beer? Like, you seem great. And I just feel, I just feel like that the, that the nature of real faith is that, like, you perceive the world to be a certain way and you have these hypotheses and you interact with the world according to those things. And you're hopeful that you're not, like, way off, but you're also gracious with other people about their ideas. Even if you just can't get with them, you can't, you know. And so having Richard Dawkins be a part of your congregation and that sense feels like, yeah, that sounds great. In the way that Christians would hear it, I think is like, oh, that's just so dangerous. Like everything is just going to get eroded to the point where you don't believe anymore. And it's like maybe, yeah. But if, you, if but if you're following the the direction and the faith is that the direction of the river is good, right? Yeah. That the there's no other direction. Well, but maybe the evil, the the things that that make you angry that yeah. when you want to write a song about something, the things that cause us to get mad about how religion acts, maybe that's because it's trying to like block the river. Maybe it's trying, yeah. it's trying to move upstream. It's trying to like stop the, the natural thing is for atoms to cooperate yeah. into becoming molecules. If one atom says, no, I'm going to do this thing or I'm, these molecules behave in a different way than, than the natural direction it becomes cancer. Right. Yeah. Like, and as we try to separate ourselves from the, the people that we are intrinsically connected to because of beliefs or because of um, these dogmas, instead of becoming a way of connecting us to one another and, and loving one another, they become ways of separating from one another. It's precisely, it's walking against the natural way that things ought to be. But that's a faith statement to me because maybe, maybe there's no direction to anything. Yeah, I think that's true. <sighs> There are just things that we all, I mean, there are just things that we have in common though, like, and they're natural things. They're 
like when I stopped being Christian, you know, I was talking about the kingdom of God a second ago and like, I would just compare notes with people and like, well, do you, you know, do you kind of care about social justice or when you think about the kingdom of God, like tell me what that, what does that mean to you? And they would inevitably talk about social justice Mm -hmm. and be like, dude, me too. Yeah. I'd call it something a little different, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, let's just like lock arms and we'll do this job together. Then we'll die. You'll go to heaven. I'll go to hell and everything's fine. <laughs> like, but for right now we can just be like bros, you know, who, who, you know, yeah. cause no one fucking knows what's going to happen. Yeah. So if he, if this guy insists that he knows, great. Okay. So with all of this and how you've changed and, and has it affected your I mean, obviously what you've been writing about, mm-hmm. but how you create art fundamentally, what you're trying to do with art fundamentally, has any of that changed? The how I create art has probably changed, but not directly because of the shifts in my sort of thinking. Um, what I, I think from It's Hard to Find a Friend on, the project has been the same, which is just explore what seems interesting and what I think about the world or just perceptions that I have, you know, like on, it's hard to find a friend. There's a lot of writing about, you know, the Bible and about, um, there's like fully two Bible stories, like just directly written into song. There's a song called secret of the easy yoke, which is probing, you know, the validity of, church life or what I don't know just the alienation that you that you feel when you're trying to really seek ye first the kingdom of God and dot 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 um and I don't really perceive that as being different at all from cursed branches I mean the data that I'm working from is kind of different but the process that the impulse is the same um just to really get to the bottom of something that is meaningful to me do you does it help you to figure out even what you're thinking by writing about it. Is oh yeah, kind of- I didn't. I didn't want to write branches like it was. I when I set out to write that record, it was. Uh, I wanted it to be like a spoon record. Like I wanted it to. I wanted to write songs about shirts and <laughs> you know um, teeth and stuff like this. You know, but what came out was all these tunes about can the pot say to the potter, why have you made me this way? I couldn't deny that when I played those songs at the house shows that I was transported for the three and a half minutes that I was playing them. And I loved them more than I loved any of this. I mean, I just connected with them so much. So I finished the record accordingly. And then I played those songs. I I thought I was over all of that stuff. I thought that I had broken with Christianity and I was just going to go about my, my life. And my subconscious had a very different idea about it. And so I wrote that record and then I played those songs like 200 times uh, between that and uh, Strange Negotiations. And it was uh, two or three years of catharsis and therapy that I desperately needed to do one way or the other. I could have gone and seen somebody probably and come at it from a different perspective. But instead I wrote that record and played it a bunch and those songs changed dramatically for me over time in terms of what I thought they meant and what they ended up meaning to me. Like we were talking about earlier with your subconscious just weaves so many things into it. If you allow it to and allow room for things that feel like, I don't know what that means exactly, but it, it belongs there. It feels like it should go there. 
so in that sense, I you know I feel like the process has been the the impulse for working has been the same. You know, it is cathartic. It is therapeutic to to do to do this songwriting and singing and music and you know m maybe not everybody wants music to function in that way for them as consumers or as creators of it but for me it's served that function and do you have any function that you hope it serves for the listener no i can't i almost don't have any idea what it could do mm -hmm. for the listener um, except that if i'm doing the process the way that i feel like it should be done it, there's been evidence that that's helpful for or that people enjoy that or something like that. But I almost can't even care. Like it can't be a factor in, in what I'm doing. But then, you know, with something like branches specifically, I just thought this is so narrow, like believers are going to be offended and <laughs> are mad and will be mad and non-believers will be bored. Like, why are you writing yeah. about this? Like get, get over it real niche audience yeah totally like a, a dozen people like literally i told my manager like dude i'm so sorry like i can't stop writing about this shit and he's like it's fine i think it's a cool record we'll just put it out and see what happens and then you know it sold really well and there's like a everything is way more nuanced and complex than i thought it was in terms of people uh it was w one of the 10 best records of 2009 in Christianity Today. What? Yeah. It, got, it made their best of list wow. that year. My dad sent me that link and he, it just it was the link and then he wrote, uh, dot, 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 like. That's amazing. His version of what the fuck. Yeah. You know? Um, and, you know, there were a lot more people in that gray area than I thought were yeah. there. Um, and. But doesn't that make Christianity like. Like that's kind of like good job Christianity. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, that's and people would awesome. tell me that like, you know, this record is a part of my devotional life that my devotional life never had a, a component where doubting was sort of something yeah. that I engaged in. And now with this record, like I, I have a, a means to do that. And I just it blew my mind. Yeah. I, and, and also my subconscious is so much smarter than my conscious brain because I thought that I was making a record that just like nails in the coffin of Christianity. Like, fuck this nonsense, not interested. This is all garbage. And what instead I made was a record that was way more nuanced than that, did not draw concrete conclusions about anything, just posed all these questions and did some like, if it's this way, then... I'm bummed or I don't like it or whatever, but it didn't ever assert fully. I assumed that I was just making an anti-Christian record. Yeah. And it just wasn't that way. And it wasn't until people started talking to me about how they understood the record that I realized what was really there. I cannot read And no, 
tempted, I'm still tempted, I admit But it's not what bearing witness I feel like if we do our jobs as well as we know how Then it'll be of interest to some people And that they'll be, it'll be a part of some dialogue that, that happens I don't even always know what's there myself, so I don't know what it would be in there that I'm putting in there deliberately for other people to consume. It's really internal, yeah. the process. Um, do you ever do co-writing? Um, I have um, a couple, a few times, yeah. Is that um, hard because you write from such a personal, subjective place? No, it, it, the scope of each thing is different because you're doing um, it for different projects right? yeah different projects and so you just kind of put on a different yeah the context reveals something to you about your own musical impulses and you realize like oh i write the way that i do because i'm the originator of all this stuff but yeah. against this kind of guitar riff like what are you what are you saying like do you, i've never sang like bon scott in any pedro the lion songs but this kind of calls for some kind of like bluesy rocker kind of thing and so then suddenly you're singing differently or whatever and we i just did that thing i was telling you about yesterday where i had to come up with all these lyrics and um, i won't know how i feel about it all for a few days i'm sure listening to it because i don't totally know what's there but in that situation you're just really leaning it's like a marriage in a way where you're just like okay well we're just gonna sink or swim together me and these collaborators like I'm not judging the stuff I just like this guy did this and then I'm going to do this and we're going to sink or swim together like that's yeah what happens like rather than just judging it and I don't know how to describe it but yeah the collaborations that I've been a part of have been so fun um, and on the stuff that we're doing now like I mean I'm doing all the lyric writing or whatever but we're collaborating in a musical way in a way that I've never really done on my own stuff Maybe with Walsh a little bit, um, but this is even more extreme than that, and um, it's been so good. Have you done a, a much collaboration with? I write with Lisa, my wife, mm -hmm. um, but co-writes can be hard for me sometimes. I mean, I've had great sessions, but there's been times, like I remember one session in particular, where the person was obviously only caring about how the listener is going to perceive it, oh, right. and really aiming for a certain demographic. Ah. specifically and kept bringing that up like well but this what would this demographic think of it i'm like i don't care yeah like, right can we just write a song that we yeah. like like what about this means? demographic the two of us <laughs> yeah, like exactly. that's the demographic i care about <laughs> we could leave here today psyched like yeah, excited a cool song yeah. with it with a song that no one might ever it just might always be a blip like a you know maybe it would never go anywhere it's just like an oddity always but like that feeling that you get when you've worked all day and you come up with a mix or a rough that you're just like, dude, this is so cool. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. And there's some, even as a, as a listener, I, I like that as an artist to create that is amazing. It's kind of the best thing of what we do, right? Like yeah. You to, but even as a fan of a different artist, like I don't want you pandering no. to me like i don't want it's you writing what, it is it yeah. really is i want you to write what's true to you and yeah. what's meaningful to you and if I you're writing what way. i think you what you if you're writing what i think you want me to hear yeah that's it does feel disrespectful on some level doesn't it yeah it's just it, and it comes up when people ask for certain songs at shows and it's just like look 
there's some songs I'm just not going to play, and it's it's not out of it's not disrespectful to you. It's actually kind of out of respect. Like this thing only works if I am not faking it yeah. at all. And if I have to play this song that I don't like, like I just have to be in a pretend headspace for a few minutes, and yeah. the show suffers for yeah. it. And your perception of me and what works about this because I've never done that before. If I start doing that now, it's going to change and it, you're not going to, it's not going to be good for you anymore. It's going to, ch- you know, yes, you will get to hear me play that one song that you like, but you'll lose the whole project. Yeah. Is that like Pedro the Lion stuff that people request usually? It's only certain, I mean, certain songs, like I play tons of Pedro songs, okay. but not all of them. Um, you know, and some for re- you know, like re- religious reasons, and others because I just think they're dumb. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like that was a dumb song that I wrote, and some it, people still liked it. But that's, I'm yeah. not ever playing that. So to answer the question, kind of completely, I I believe what you said about it that like you write for yourself, you write for what turns you on the most, and then however that plays out in the world, that's just how it does. And if if you're really doing that, some people are going to connect with it. Like, unless your taste is just so bizarre. Um, but if you like the Beatles at all or any normal music and you really go for it and try to make something that freaks you out, it's going to be accessible to somebody. And it probably, you know, our experiences are all unique, but there's tons of overlap. And so if you're writing about whatever it is, there's other people that care about that and are going to do this, you know, are going to respond to it. I was trembling with goose flesh First time I prayed to speak in tongues I saw it coming And I tried to run But now I make it up as I go along. Thank you for doing what you do. Like, thank you for writing how you write. It's more, I think because you're an artist like that, there's an element of it that makes it feel like more than entertainment to people. And I think that's, I'm sure you hear that from your fans, how even hearing from Christians, like how it becomes part of their devotional life. Yeah. That's, it's because when you're writing from your soul and your heart like that, from the depth of who you actually are, connects things yeah and in that way it's spiritual to me like it's very um and i hope you don't take it as an insult i mean in the best sense of the word everything i would love about christianity yeah you're in that stream like you you uh you're calling us to truth to look look at things honestly to look at and to love and that's the whole thing to me like um, i agree so i i'm grateful for what you do thanks and that's not a i mean i would have been offended by that um, six years ago, or you know, just like ah, don't you know, don't. Yeah. You know. But now, no, that yeah, that's and it kind of even deeper in line with what we we're talking about. Yeah, like however people interact with this thing, like um, how could that be? <laughs> how could that be offensive? No, thank you for being part of the uh, podcast. First time. Oh man, alive. thanks for having me. I'm glad that this worked out. I mean, so so great. Uh, is there anything you want to share with people about what you're doing, where you're going to be, what you're recording, um, or? We're working on a record now that um, come out in May or June. Um, if you're curious about any of this stuff, the website of my name, 
is where you can go and there's SoundCloud things to listen to um, that would give you a glimpse into what the record is going to kind of be like all the Bazan monthly stuff is up there if you're looking for a starting point and you like the idea of like lament and some of the stuff we've been talking about cursory branches might be a good sure, starting place absolutely you think? amazing record all right thank you so much thank you david for coming yep. yeah